Would you pray with me now? This is it's kind of the topic that we're going after. There's something, um, I had an encounter with the Lord this last week, and, and I'm going to share it with you today. So, Lord, I thank you that your presence is here, that your spirit dwells within us, that you anoint us. You've marked our lives with great purpose, with divine purpose. And, Lord, that you saturate our being with your spirit. You come upon us and empower us to do your will. And Lord, I thank you for that. And so I'm asking today, Holy Spirit, Father in heaven, would you pour out the breath of life in each person today? God, I pray that hearts would be united and connected in your presence, that you would make divine connections with people, and that revelation would unlock divine purpose, the calling in life. And Lord, that you would cause our, our hearts to be knit with one another, that, that truly what you've destined for your body could come forth in these days. So Lord, I thank you for this. I pray for revelation in the sermon and wisdom that we would transform the world around us and be transformed ourselves. But I thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, if you agreed with that, you said amen. Um. I was praying for us, like I said before, and uh, I do this often. I might spend more time praying for your families than I do mine, frankly. Um, I, no, I pray for you, don't worry, but, but I know I have a good marriage, okay? All right. Is that what you needed to hear there? Okay, yes. She's sitting on the front row. I got to watch myself. She wasn't here first service, so. The, uh, but but I, I'm praying for us because I know that God has great purpose for your lives, and I know that it matters how you spend your time and your life and what you give yourself to. It really matters. Uh, you know, I, I see the purpose of pastoring as, as playing a role of making sure that you guys get your well done, thou good and faithful servant. Like, I have this picture. I don't know if it's true. You know, I'm not sure if it's great you know, that it'll be accurate or not, but, but this is sort of the, the image that I have. I'm, I'm thinking about eternity, right? We're all standing at the judgment seat, right? And, and, and there I am getting to stand front row as you all line up. And Jesus is judging each one of our lives, right? And you're hearing, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And after all of you get yours, then he looks at me and goes, well, how'd you do? Right, because the purpose of shepherding and walking with people and leading, the purpose of that is to make sure that everybody gets there. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I think this is why the scriptures say you shouldn't give your elders a hard time because they're actually guardians of your souls. They're trying to help. Right? Oh, okay, there's like three of you that said right to that. All right, yeah. We all suffer with a little bit of sheep bite. It's right here, right? Ah. Sheep bite, you know that one? Shepherds get bit by the sheep, it's great, it's fun. <laughs> I was praying for you and uh, I had this vision. I, I um, immediately saw this picture of the body of Christ. This amazing, like warrior-like person, so capable, amazing. The ability, the potential, the, the powerful stature, the incredible uh, opportunity, the, this, this picture, it, it brought forth all of these thoughts in my head. That this is the most capable person ever. It's the body of Jesus. It's the body of Christ. Right? It's us. It's the church. The, that there's so much capability and there's so much potential. And, and as I, I looked again at the body, I could begin to see intricacies. The way that parts, like different functions within the body of Christ, how individuals would impact other individuals' lives and how the gift and the potential on your life is interacting with theirs and how it magnifies and it multiplies that potential and, 
And it's amazing how, how God created it this way so that you need me and I need you. That none of us get to just do this on our own, but that when we come together and that when we work together, when there is that, that interdependency in a healthy way, that that thing builds us up into maturity. Incredible. I'm looking at the stature of the body. I'm like, wow, God. It's incredible. All that you're doing. All the potential. And then I looked again. This, by the way, this is a, a secret. For those of you who ever wonder about when I make a statement or others will make a statement, oh, I had a vision or, you know, I saw something in the spirit. What that means, you know, to some that's like instant, you know what that means. But for others, though, it's, it feels a little foreign to you. Let me explain it to you. Have you ever been in prayer and then had like a, a flash image come across your mind? Or you've been like shopping, like you're getting some groceries and this thought, a stray thought, it's not connected to anything. It's just all of a sudden you... You thought about that person you used to go to school with. Like, where did that come from? Like, I'm picking up some peanut butter, and then, like, a guy I used to play football with comes to mind. Like, boom, where did that come from? These are not associated things. Where did the thought come from? Where did that image come from? All of a sudden, there's a glimpse of something. Has this ever happened to anybody? Yeah, anybody? Anybody listening right now? You're having those kind of images right now, right? You're not here. You're someplace else. Like, <laughs> that, that. That flash image, that thought, what is that thing? Listen, the scripture says in the, in the prophetic writings, you'll read, you know, like Jeremiah or Ezekiel, and it'll say, they saw this in the spirit. And then it'll say, and they looked again. And then there was something else that they saw. And then after that, it'll say, and I looked again. And then there's something else that they saw. Whenever you get a glimpse of something, stray thought, uh, Assume that God's trying to get your attention. Assume it's like you're walking down a dark hallway and somebody cracks a door open and there was light on the other side and that flash of light came out. Right? So you're walking down the hallway, someone cracks the door open, you look in there and you get a glimpse of what's inside. Every time you get a glimpse of something, it's an invitation. It's an invitation to look again. That wasn't the whole thing. That was only, it was an invitation. It was Jesus going, knock, knock, anybody home? You want to have some fellowship right now? I'd love to talk to you about something. And he's looking to see if you are interested in what he just showed you. You had a thought about a person. Well, where did that come from? Why is it there? If you ask the secondary question, Lord, what are you trying to show me? All of a sudden, it's like you walked up to the door and you began to push it open to look. You get an image in your mind, a thought. You're in prayer and you're seeking the Lord about something and some stray thought, a picture comes to your mind. Don't just assume that was it. Look again. When you look again, it's like walking up to the door and opening it up and looking. The picture that you see now, you're going to have further information. More will come to you. Look again. Don't stop there. Don't assume you saw all of it on the first go. Did you know that you can revisit an encounter with the Lord right now? Please don't. Listen to what I have to say. Do this afterwards, okay? <laughs> but that you're not hindered from going back. None of that stuff exists in time. All that stuff was eternal. You can go there anytime you want. You had an encounter with the Lord. It wasn't over. That was just the door cracking open. <laughs> okay. We are spirit-filled people. Anybody know that? Right? You just want to make sure you're in the uh, right church, okay? <laughs> the door cracks open. You see, look again. So I see this picture of the body, and I look again, and then intricacies start to pop. And I look again, and then there was something that struck me. I looked at the eyes, and there was no light in the eyes. The body was perfect in function. It was perfect in strength. All the capability was there. It was connected exactly how it's supposed to be. All the order and the structure and the perfection of it existed. But for some reason, it was lacking life. So I looked again. And this time, I, the, the, the insides of the body began to open up. And what I saw was the heart. And the heart was not connected to the parts. And this isn't about us only. This was something greater the Holy Spirit was speaking. He wasn't convicting our church. He wasn't talking about a person or a people group. He was showing something. I saw the heart, 
and it had all the life in the world in it, but that life wasn't connecting to the function of what was going on. But as soon as I saw it, suddenly, boom, it beat, and the life that was in the heart shot out into all the parts like a lightning strike. Like if you were slaying down on the end of the rainbow, woo, boom, and crashed into your forehead, right? Light shone forth and color suddenly came upon it and filled the body with life. It, it exuberant of life. There was everywhere the, the life flow and the strength and the vigor that filled it, the color that overwhelmed it. I didn't even realize at the time, but I thought I was seeing color before, and as soon as the color of heaven touched the body, it was like I had never experienced color before, and now all of a sudden, it's full of life and color. I said, Lord, what is this? This is what he said. He said, everything can be in its exact order, serving its perfect purpose. Anybody like those words in here? Exact, perfect, correct. We're my perfectionists. Come on. We, we like it. We like it. It's supposed to be like that. He said, everything can be exact and perfect in its order. But if the heart is off, it will lack life. It's a play on words. If the heart is off, if the motive is off, if, if, if it's not connected with the purpose that God had intended, if, it's, if the heart is off, it'll lack life that it was meant to have. We're going to talk this morning about something that I think, it's so simple that it's almost like silly that we're preaching it. So simple. But it's the kind of simplicity that when you see it, and when you think about it, suddenly you go, oh my goodness, why in the world didn't I see that before? You ever had that moment, the aha moment? Oh, we're living right next door to Wisconsin. How have I not cheered for the Green Bay Packers before this moment? The fivefold ministry giving context to mission and equipping the body. Man, they can do the best job and equip the body and can be perfect. Connection and the body functioning together. It can be in its right place. You can be doing what you're supposed to be doing. But it is possible for you to be doing what you're supposed to be doing, the correct thing, and your heart be disconnected from the life of heaven. And if you could see that, and if there was simplicity to where you could understand, wait a second, if I just, not do it differently, but if I just connect my heart, all the difference that that truly makes, oh man, you would never do life the other way again. We're going to look at the story of Israel today. As we do often, I, I love the metaphor because we're able to look at and see what God was doing, and it's, it often provides a reflection of where we're at, how we're doing. You look at him. This story is about the time when Israel was being led by a prophet named Samuel, and then the people desired a king, and so they shifted from being under a government of a prophet with judges to shifting to having their own king and kingdom. And uh, this story helps us and is going to give us a great uh, mirror, a way to look at our lives without me being personally offensive to you. It'll be great. You ready? <laughs> All right. For, I don't need an answer. It's fine. I'm doing it anyway. All right. First Samuel chapter 8. You got a Bible? Turn there, okay? First Samuel 8. What does it mean to be a man or a woman after God's own heart? It's kind of the question that we're answering today. What does it mean to be a man or woman after God's own heart? 1 Samuel 8. We're going to start in verse 1. It came about that when Samuel was old, all right, good old Sammy has gotten old. 
He's a prophet. He's a judge. He's been leading Israel for some time. Uh, you know, that, that's the way that the system has run. Samuel's getting old, so he appointed his sons as judges over Israel. Now, the name of his firstborn was Joel. The name of his second was Abijah. They were judging in Beersheba. His sons, however, did not walk in the ways of Samuel, in his ways. But they turned aside after dishonest gain. They took bribes and they perverted justice. Everyone say perverted justice. All the elders of Israel gathered together and they came to Samuel at Ramah and they said to him, Behold, look, you've grown old. Right? Your sons do not walk in your ways. Now, appoint a king for us to judge us like all the other nations. But this thing was displeasing in the sight of Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. That should hit hard. Okay? They haven't rejected you, Samuel. Although I'm sure it felt like that. Oh, you don't like my kids? Fine. You know, like, like I'm sure there was something personal to this as well. You don't like the way I run things? You need a king? Okay, right? But God says, don't take this personal. They're not rejecting you. There's something else happening. They are rejecting me as king over them, as God as king over them. Like all the deeds which they've done since the day that I brought them from Egypt, even to this day, in that they have forsaken me and they are serving other gods. So they are doing this to you also. Now then, listen to their voice. However, you shall solemnly warn them and tell them of the procedure of the king who will reign over them. This is what happened. Israel saw the way that the rest of the world was being governed. They saw the example of how other nations had kings, and they looked at themselves, and they said, we are different from them, and we want to be like them. Just pause for a moment. I want you to, I want you to, to think about something a little deeper than what we're just talking about. In the very beginning of creation, God put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, the word garden means enclosure. It was a distinct place with borders. God's command to Adam and Eve was to multiply, to fill the earth, to cultivate or expand the garden, and to keep the garden. Right? So their job is to have kids, to expand the garden, the way that they would govern the world would be that God was their God and they were the judges or they were the governors. They were his prophets. They were the rulers, right? So God is their king and man served as a ruler under God's kingship. In this system, they advanced the kingdom of heaven God's kingdom exists perfectly in heaven. Can you say amen to that? It's perfect up there. There's nothing wrong. It all exists under his lordship. God creates earth, puts Adam and Eve in the garden. They have their God as the Lord. And because they are serving the Lord, everything they do would advance this kingdom of heaven on the earth. Until, everyone say until. Until what? Until what happened? They sin. And in their sin, God takes them and moves them outside of the garden, and there is now a different influence touching their hearts. When they agreed with the serpent, they opened their hearts to receive the influence of another, something demonic. God moves them outside of the garden, and immediately something happens. So in the beginning, God is trying to take the kingdom of heaven put it onto earth, and it would advance all over the face of the earth through man. They sin. They have to move outside of the garden, and immediately, I mean, next generation, Cain murders Abel. 
Cain moves away from God's presence, establishes a city, and the name of the city is the place that God is not. From that moment forward, culture on earth begins to advance, building its own kingdom and its own system of rule outside of God's kingdom and system of rule. We have two systems of rule existing in the world. You have God's kingdom, and then you have the world system. There's prophetic pictures. If you read the scriptures, God will refer to it as Babylon. It's not just talking about the land of Babylon. We're talking about the world system. Is everybody alive? You're following with me here. Two kingdoms. When you got born again, God moved you out of the kingdom of darkness, out of the world system and its government, into the kingdom of the beloved son, Jesus. The kingdom that Jesus brought is the original kingdom. Jesus, the second Adam, came to earth, walked in union with the Father so that he only did what the Father was doing. He only spoke what the Father was saying. He had disciples that were learning the ways of God. Are you following me here? You can see how this emerges. When you get saved, you got brought out of the kingdom and the world system of darkness and birthed into the kingdom of heaven, the rule of God. Two kingdoms emerging on the world scenes. You're seeing it right before your eyes. You and I, sons of God, who are supposed to live under the lordship and the rule of the kingdom of heaven. That's our role. Until the earth, on earth as it is in heaven. All right, now you have perfect theology. Go and live, okay? Here's the deal, though. This story here, this is the contrast. This is what I want you to see. God births a nation, Israel. God's people are to listen to God as their king. They look different than the rest of the world because God was, a, was, was producing his rule in his people. So when Israel comes to Samuel the prophet and says to them, we want a kingdom like the world's kingdom, do you see how hard of a word that actually is? They are rejecting the Lord as their king because they want to submit to the world system. It's a big deal, not a small one. You feel the tension in that. God says, listen to them, but give them a solemn warning. A solemn warning. Now listen, I don't know what it is in us that we as the people of God continue to try to embrace a kingdom of this world and try to take over the kingdom of this world by adopting and attempting to do government through the agencies of the kingdom of this world. It didn't work ever in history, and it is not our call now. <laughs> Off the soapbox, here we go. Okay? God's people are pursuing a different type of kingdom. God goes, give them what they want. So Samuel goes and finds Saul, King Saul. Saul's about to take on the impossible job. It's impossible. He doesn't have a job description. He's been a donkey farmer before this. Right? He has no qualifications. Israel's never had a king. They don't have any system of government. There's no way for them. There's no way. There's nothing. He doesn't know what to do. Samuel anoints Saul king. Yeah, we got a king. We're going to be just like everybody else. And what's Saul do? He goes right back to farming. The only job description that Saul has is that his job is to go to war. So when the enemies of the Lord, 
the enemies of Israel come around. Saul's job is to raise up an army and go fight the battle. That's his whole job description. It's all he knows how to do, okay? And so that's exactly what he does. He goes ahead and he raises up a small army and he goes and he picks a fight with the Philistines. He's going to go win some battles because that's all he knows how to do, okay? And this is what happens. God causes him to win. He wins. Yay, we're winning. Little skirmish here and there. Saul's doing it. Israel's on the map, right? Yeah. Samuel, the prophet, comes and he says to them, I need to bring you some clarity now because you're inches away from falling away from what God wants from you. Samuel 12, verse 12. Samuel's talking to the people of Israel. When you saw Nahash, the king of the sons of Ammon, come against you, that was the time when you came to me and said, no, a king shall reign over us, although the Lord your God was your king. In other words, Samuel goes, do you remember that moment? Because I remember it. You saw something in them you liked. You liked the way they did that. And you wanted it, and so now we switched. You ever had a bright idea, but you know it came from someplace else? When you think about it, it originated someplace else. It wasn't your idea at all, right? You ever have a bright idea, and you go, that would be amazing, but then you look at it, and you go, wait a second, that originated with evil. Maybe, I don't know, the church shouldn't do that. Anybody? No, okay. First Samuel 12, you saw the king, Nahash, and you wanted to be like him, although the Lord God was your king. Now, therefore, here is the king whom you've chosen, Saul, yay. You've asked for him, for behold, the Lord has set a king over you. If you will fear the Lord and you will serve the Lord and listen to the Lord's voice and not rebel against the command of the Lord, then both you and also the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God. If you will not listen to the voice of the Lord, but you rebel against the command of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you as it was against your fathers. Very simple instructions. He said, listen, the rules have not changed just because the way you're doing it has changed. You still have to follow me, right? Verse 19, by the way, Samuel says to them, guys, just to know that you know for sure that I'm being serious here, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to talk to you, and then we're going to have a lightning and thunderstorm, and in the morning, you'll know that you can trust what I said. So all that night, after Samuel spoke, lightning and rain, torrential storm happen. Boom, they got, God's got their attention. Maybe we should take this seriously. They come to him the next day, verse 19. Then all the people said to Samuel, uh, pray for us. We messed up. Please pray for us that we don't die. Must have been a really, really rough moment, right? Please pray for us that we don't die. For we have added to all our sins through this evil by asking for ourselves a king. Samuel said to the people, don't fear. You have committed all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. You must not turn aside, for then you will go after futile things which cannot profit or deliver because they are futile. Everyone say futile. Okay, futile, futile, pointless, have no benefit to your life. It won't help you, it won't serve you, it will not add value. Futile. need to make that point for what I'm about to say. The Lord will not abandon his people on account of his great name because the Lord has been pleased to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. But I will instruct you in the good and right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. Come on, would you say that with me? With all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, both you and your king will be swept away. 
end quote. Peace, I'm out. Drop the mic. Bye. Okay. Yes, you messed up. Yes, you may have made a bad decision. Yes, ooh, gosh, you have regret. Shouldn't have done that. Don't let a momentary decision that was wrong set the course for your next decisions. I've never really understood this. I, I, around um, the, the uh, Alcoholics Anonymous type culture, the, the rehab culture, I get, I totally understand like, hey, addiction, we got to work through this thing. We, we, you know, we're, we have to stay on this course. But what I've never understood is this phrase. I, I've never understood the concept of, oh, I fell off the wagon. Right? I fell off the wagon. Oh, and, and it's almost like, like, okay, I got to give my coin back. I screwed up once, and so, man, I screwed it all up. And that mentality goes, is this. It's this mentality where you screwed up, and now it's an excuse to just, like, blow your life up. No, 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 no. You messed up. Get right back on the wagon. What the heck are we talking about here? Okay, the scripture says, Samuel, the prophet, goes, hey, God did not leave you. Yes, you messed up. Yes, you are actually choosing a different government than his. Yeah, you really screwed this up. But God has not left you. He has not abandoned his calling for you. He has not left your side. He's calling you right back to it. Do not allow this to be the excuse for no longer listening to him or obeying him or doing the very things that he called you to do in the first place. The gifts and the callings are without repentance. He does not take away the call because you screwed it up the first time. It's still there, you gotta re-engage it and keep going. Yeah? So if you fell off the wagon, get back on. Don't allow that mindset, it's a trap. Don't allow that mindset, oh I messed up so I might as well go all the way in messing up. Dumb, don't do that. Dumb, dumb, dumb. When a person stops seeking the Lord, okay, when you introduce the pursuit of something that wasn't what God wanted, it also unlocks your heart to begin to desire futile things. Okay? When Israel started to seek a different form of government, it unlocked and opened them up, God said, to worship other gods. When we seek governments and the role of kingdoms outside of God's kingdom, if you seek and start to submit to a system, the world system, as soon as you begin to submit to the world system, the system of rule, as soon as you seek your solution, in the world system, it will open you up for the pursuit of dumb things. You'll get influence. It's, it's like a bag of tricks, right? You open it up and you go, oh, I think I want to seek God's will through doing it the world's way. And then right in behind it comes a whole bunch of garbage attached to it. why lukewarmness is so dangerous because you can't partly seek the Lord and then hold on to your worldly stuff over here. It doesn't work, right? You, you can't have a side chick. It doesn't work. You, you can't do God over here partly, and then, you know, I go church on the weekend. Yeah, we party up in here. And then I go back to my life over here. If you belong to the Lord, then everything belongs to the Lord, not just part of you. Right? You, so when it comes to things like your heart, God wants your whole heart. Not part of it. 
And if you become passionate in one area of your life, but you leave lukewarmness over here, this is the problem. This part over here, where you are still open to the world, this is where the enemy begins to influence. This is where you get tricked. This is where the junk comes in. If you are to serve the Lord, you should do it wholeheartedly, because when you do it wholeheartedly, then the Lord is your rear guard, and all that junk gets pulled off of you. And you'll see it in a second, okay? Verse 24, fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all of your heart, for consider what great things he's done for you. This is the secret to staying wholehearted. It is being thankful and focusing on the testimony of what God has done. It is to keep your eyes filled with what God is doing and not get offended, not get stuck, not get trapped thinking about all the things that he's not doing. When you focus on what the Lord is doing, your wholeheartedness comes to the surface. The fear of the Lord will guard your heart, and when you go to make decisions, you will make decisions with thinking about who God is and what he does in its context. That will protect you and keep you. Thankfulness, focusing on the testimony, remembering what God is doing, Remember the stories. Rehearse the stories of what God has done in the past. Because when you do that, you don't get stuck, disappointed, disillusioned, or, or looking for other solutions in a way that God's not doing them in, nor has he ever done them in. At the beginning, King Saul has no job description. His job is to go to war. So he goes to war. He takes his band of merry men and he goes and picks a fight with the Philistines. Not the Philippines, the Philistines. Okay? He goes and he picks a fight and he wins. It's like 600 dudes, right? They go and they do it. Yeah! They fight. It's an even fight. But this is what happens. Look at chapter 13, verse 5. The Philistines assembled to fight with Israel 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and people like the sands which are on the seashore in abundance. Oh, Saul has never done this before, and he went and he picked a fight with 1,000 people, and he won. And the reaction is not proportionate. The enemy comes in like a flood to stomp something out. What's he stomping out? He comes in after the anointing. See, when Samuel anointed Saul, and the anointing of the Lord touched his life, it set him apart. And while the world may not be paying attention, the spiritual world was. Okay, when you step out in God, what God's called you to, in the anointing of who God has called you to, the enemy will try to come in and, and intimidate you, try to get you to stop, try to keep you from shining your light. And you should not be intimidated. You should not hold back. You should not get stuck. Okay? That thing that God's put in you, if you are anointed for a purpose, and you do that purpose, and then the enemy tries to raw scare you back into your hole. Oh, man, don't do it. But you got to catch the subtle differences with what I'm talking today about. Because the difference between someone who is wholehearted and someone that is lukewarm, it, you cannot tell on the outside. The actions might look the same, but if the heart is disconnected, you'll miss out on kingdom purpose. Listen to this. The Philistines assembled to fight with Israel. 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, people like sand, which are on the seashore in abundance. They came up and they camped when the men of Israel saw that they were in a bind, a hard-pressed place, a strait. Then the people started hiding in caves, in thickets, in cliffs, in cellars, and in pits. Also, some of the Hebrews crossed the Jordan back into the land of Gad and Gilead. That means they were like, heck with the promised land. We're out. 
I don't want to be a Christian if what it means is that the enemy comes in like this. Peace, I'm out. As for Saul, he was still at Gilgal, and all the people that were there were trembling. He waited seven days according to the appointed time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And so the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring to me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. And as soon as he finished the offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. But Samuel said, what have you done? Saul said, because I saw the people, and they were scattering, right? They were all, they went back to pits and holes because the people were scattering, and you didn't come to us. And we said, we're only going to do this for a certain amount of time. And the Philistines were assembled. Therefore, I said, the Philistines will come down against me. And I haven't asked God to bless what I'm trying to do. I haven't asked for God's favor yet. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have acted so foolish. You have not kept the command that the Lord your God gave you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom will not endure The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people. Because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Okay. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to hearts. And you would enable, you would help to bridge the gap of understanding in this moment that you would... He's so merciful, at the same time bring clarity, Lord. Thank you for that, Lord. What does this mean? What are we seeing here? Because there's a prophetic picture for us. Saul was just doing his job, right? He was anointed to do this. He was called to do this. Called to lead his people into battle. His job is to go to war with the Philistines. The Philistines, and there is a spiritual reality that is emerged and are now coming to stamp out what God's kingdom was producing. Okay? Saul is standing there. The enemy rears up. God's people go, oh, where's Samuel? Samuel does not just represent God's voice. Okay? That's not... Samuel is this, when Saul is waiting on Samuel to give the sacrifice, it is Israel saying to God, we're going to do what you told us to do. We will face this enemy, but we are submitting our lives to you. We are offering a sacrifice. We are declaring you are our God, you are the Lord over this battle, you are our king. When Saul stepped in and gave the offering, it was uh, not that we're submitting to you, God, but rather it was, oh God, bless what we're trying to do. Is God their God or is Saul their king? They're waiting on Samuel. This is how they practically seek the Lord to root, to make the battle belong to the Lord. This is the practical expression. This is how they seek first the kingdom and then everything else gets added to them. The time frame was seven days. Samuel, you got to show up within seven days. Who set that time frame, by the way? It was Samuel. Yeah, it was Samuel. But see, here's the deal. Samuel is representing the Lord. 
Okay? And the Lord will never fit within your time frame. God does not fit within your budget constraints. God does not fit within your wheelhouse of, look, we're going to achieve this. We're going to do this. We're going to, right? I, I, I love it. I, 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 it's, this, this verse is funny to me because it brings out, and it's a little bit of like, oh, that's, this is why I take my glasses off in a service. Because on that wall back there, if you look back there, okay, just look back real quick. Just, I'm not tricking you, okay? There's a clock, and it's ticking down. Okay? When we moved to two services, we created some time constraints. Right? And those time constraints tell us that God has to move within our box. Okay? Now, those time constraints are very helpful for our volunteers, for our kids' workers, for your children, for like, like we can't just do like four-day services every weekend. It just won't work. Right? There's life, and it's just this flow and 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 but at the same time we can't be as a people we we don't get to tell god like you got to move within our 30 minutes of worship otherwise you know you're cut off like but <laughs> okay All right, right and so samuel's feeling that a little bit right because samuel's functioning under like he's he's working for god he's not working for saul Right? This is the prophet thing. He's working for God. He's not working for Saul. But it was Samuel who told him, I'll be there in seven days. Samuel set up the time constraints. Do you know who told them to put a clock up there? Me. That's why I take my glasses off. Because then I can't see that clock, and I don't feel the conviction of having to obey the clock. All right? <laughs> but, but I try. I try. I really do. But... I fail every week. <laughs> Don't worry, we're, we're landing the plane for those of you who are time sensitive here, okay? But hear me, okay? What happens when you set your deadlines or the world around you sets the deadlines, but God doesn't speak to you within your parameter? I'm going to go fast for three days and hear God's voice, and then at the end of that, I'll make a decision. So you go and you fast for three days, and you're listening to hear God's voice, and he doesn't speak to you. You have a lot of wonderful ideas, but it wasn't God. And at the end of your three days, you feel all the pressure in the world to have to make that decision. The pressure of the moment to have to, you know, and then what comes out of your mouth? A self-assurance. No, God spoke to me. No, it was your good idea. It wasn't God. Okay? It just let's be honest with it. It's okay to have good ideas, but God doesn't always obey your earthly time parameters. He doesn't fit in your box. You know, the stories of the Welsh Revival, the leader of the Welsh Revival would sit on the front row for hours while the people were all waiting. And he would sit there and wait and wait. Literally, there are stories of him waiting for three hours without saying, without moving. He's just waiting on God's presence. And all the people sat there waiting. They weren't busy with choir performances and whatever. Like, it wasn't filled with anything. It was just awkwardness. And they were waiting. And he was waiting for the Holy Spirit to speak. And he wouldn't move until. And then when they did, oh my goodness. Because when you say what God's saying, boom, stuff happens. Okay? The pressure of this world and the time constraints. Listen, your budget tells you what you can and can't do. Your budget tells you if you can do that thing that God prompted your heart to, to do. Your, your money tells you. It speaks to you. What if the budget you set doesn't get met? Then what? What if the people who said they're going to be around you and support you, we're in it with you thick and thin, and then the first time that there's trouble or it's difficult or it's no longer the way that they like it, peace, I'm out. Welcome to church life, man. Does the pressure of needing to perform cause you to rise up in your own strength? Or does it force you to wait on the Lord with greater diligence? Verse 13, Samuel said to Saul, you acted really foolishly. You didn't keep the commandment of the Lord, which he commanded you. 
For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now it won't endure. The Lord sought out for a man after his own heart and appointed him the leader. Can I tell you, what's the difference between King Saul and King David? Because the man after God's own heart is King David. That's who he's talking about. Do you know what the difference is? When the pressure came upon Saul, Saul made decisions and moved the ball forward. When the pressure came on King David, David sought the Lord. Okay, God, what do you want to do? When Saul goes out to battle, he goes, listen, we need the blessing of the Lord, so give me that sacrifice. Lord, bless us. Amen. Right? When David goes out to battle, he waits. Lord, what would you have us do? Just go up directly and battle them. Okay. And they go up directly, battle, and they win. Next time he goes out to battle, Lord, what you have us do? Wait until you hear the army like march above you in the trees. Like, what'd he say? Like, wait, what? Okay. We're waiting. <laughs> was that it? I think that was it. All right, let's go, right? And then they win. David sought the Lord. What does it mean to be a person after God's own heart? You're a worshiper. No. What it means to be a man after God's own heart, a woman after God's own heart, is that you seek first his kingdom, the rule of heaven. What does God want? You seek first the kingdom, and then all these things get added to you. It isn't this. Listen, guys, it's so easy to do this. You're a business person. You've got to make a plan. We've got to go make the sale. And so what do we do? We go make the plan, and we get out there, and we're going to go do it. And then we're Christians, so we go, oh, Lord, please bless what we're doing. <laughs> what happens if you do this? Lord, I surrender my day to you. I don't know what's in it, but it's yours. You are my king. You are my God. Right? And the Holy Spirit prompts you to do something. It feels a little off or weird, like whatever. And you go do it. And next thing you know, opening for a sale. What just happened? Right? Everything that happens in that day, like things move forward. There were some hard things too. And those hard things now, you can look at God and go, okay, God, you're in that somehow. You can trust that he's in that. I don't know why my family's having to move again. I don't know why I'm facing this hardship, but I know you're in it. How do I know he's in it? Because at the beginning, I said, you are the God of my job. This feels like nuance. I know it feels like nuance, but it's not. It is the difference between doing something in the kingdom and having eternal results or you doing your own thing and then, you know, tipping God with the tithe. I don't know why that was hard, but <laughs> this is like, bless me, God. Oh, and then by the way, here you go. High five. Here's 20 bucks. Like, what are we talking about? What happens when a person gives? Listen, can I tell you, God doesn't need your money. Doesn't need your money. Not at all. The church doesn't need your money. Why? Because we work for the Lord. He's our provider. There's no power in the money exchange. Pastor, if you don't do what we're telling you, we're going to leave. Don't let the door hit you on the rear end. Like, what are you talking about? This is, we have to stop looking at pastors as kings. And we got to start being accountable with our hearts holistically as a people to the Lord. So that if God is the God of my job, then everything that happens in my day and the income that comes in, I'm accrediting to him. You're the, my provider. And because you're my provider, that is why I tithe. This is what the tithe is. It declares who your God is. It's not paying church salaries or whatever the weird things you think. This is about declaring who your God is. Do you, wonder, do you get this? Church, this thing, this is a heart level thing. And I know it seems so simplistic, but if you understand this, if you connect this with your life today, your life forever will be changed, truly. So you get an idea. Can I tell you, your passions and your dreams, everything that's in you, God put there. God put there. He's the author of those dreams. And when you go and you run after those dreams, it has the opportunity to glorify the God who made you because 
What he put in you is getting to shine. But listen to these two experiences. The first person acknowledges, wow, God, you put these dreams in my heart. I'm going to go after them. And as they're running after them, they realize, oh, I'm going to need some training. i got to go to school. And so they look at all the schools, and they go, ooh, I like that school. Like, it's in a warm place. Like, it's, woo, look, that looks amazing, you know? Like, so, so you make your best choice. You go to that school, and, you know, it's expensive, so you're going to have to take out some loans. So you take out some loans. And, th- and there, are, there are godly people that God's put in your life, authority figures, that, that are talking to you. And they're giving you counsel. And you listen to the counsel, and you're like, you, you know, you, some of it you're, you're really jiving with. You go, yeah, that's amazing. Thank you so much for that advice. Like, I can see where you're coming from. You know, you pat them on the back. Thanks. Right? There, there are others who are giving you actual godly advice, and it's correcting how you're thinking. And you're like, you're like, ooh, you know, that's not really how I envisioned what I'm going to do. And so while that might work for you, it's not going to work for me because my dream looks differently than how you're envisioning it. And so, and because God gave me this dream, it's my dream. And so like, who are you to, you know, tell me what to do because it's my dream? And so along the way, the council, you go, you, you know, this person listens to it and they take what they like, they dismiss what they don't like, you know, because this isn't God speaking to them. This is just people with like, that are just trying to give input. And it's great. I'm so glad that they gave input in my life. I'm so glad I have these nice people in my life. You know, oh, what's your name? Oh, pastor who? Oh, oh, like manager who? Oh, oh, boss who? Oh, grandpa, dad, like, you know, I, this is such great advice. Thank you so much. I'll take what I like, and I'll leave what I don't. And then I'm moving the dream that God gave me forward. Right? And so then you step out into it, and you're doing the job, and then loan payments start coming. And then there's, like, crisis in some relationships, and, like, whoa, the people I partnered with actually aren't godly, and there's some real major issues starting to happen. And then all of a sudden, we're like flare prayer. Oh, God, help me. <laughs> right? You're anointed to do this, and, that, and it's going to work. Because, like, the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. You're anointed to do this. You're supposed to be doing this. But the way you got there and the way you're doing it, it all belongs to you still. And so that debt, whose debt is that? That is your debt. But, oh, God, you said you'd provide for me. Yeah. I will absolutely provide for me. That's why you should probably listen to me as we're making decisions. Oh, I put those counselors in your life, son. Put those counselors in your life, daughter. They were not kind advice. They were authority figures. My voice was in there, but you couldn't hear them because you were too busy planning your thing. Secondary person, same dream, same passion, but this is how they start their journey. They go, Lord, you put this dream in my heart, this passion in my heart, so you're the God of it. It looks like I need school, Lord. I don't know how I'm going to pay for school. Do you want me to go to school? Yeah, I want you to go to school. Okay. That's hard, Lord. I don't know how we're going to do this. Where do you want me to go to school? That school. Wow, that's really expensive, God. I don't, okay, I trust you take out some loans. What the person can't see is that when they arrive in this school environment, the people they're going to school with, these are divine relationships that will partner and make their business prosper. And also, there were faculty members and there were people along the way in that town. You go to church in that town and you meet some people that open amazing doors for you. And those doors open wide open. And oh, by the way, that business that you just joined to do the very thing, same thing, passionate process. That same thing, when those doors open up, oh, I didn't realize, but they have a tuition reimbursement plan. And boom, 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 all of, all of a sudden, that debt is not your debt. Whose debt is that? 
It's God's debt. Why? Because he's the one that told you to go there. Because you have been serving him the whole time. Because you've been submitting to his lordship. You have been bringing his kingdom, his rule, into what you are doing. Do you see this? On the outside, they look like the same process. But on the inside, at a heart level, they could not be further apart. Y'all, your simplest decisions are to be submitted to Jesus. Why? Because it is no longer you who lives, but it is Christ who lives within you. You have been crucified with him. Your life is not your own. Now you are a son and a daughter of God and God will never leave you. He'll never leave you. That's the promise. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to just cling to that? Yeah, that means I'm going to heaven so I can live like whatever I want here on earth. Wow. Those voices, the counselors, these people that felt like real buzzkills because they were telling, I couldn't do this and I shouldn't do that. Who are they to tell me that I can't do God's dream? Turns out that those people were guardians to your soul. Turns out that they were covering you. Turns out there are laws. Turns out there are things that you should not ignore. And they're speaking into your life and you go, man, if you are submitting to God, then when you have somebody who is telling you to do something that's different than what you really want to do, but you're submitting to God, when you do that, all of a sudden you hear God's voice through authority. Proverbs 16 says, the plan belongs to the man, but the reply of the tongue comes from the Lord. You have your plan, if you submit it to God, then when you hear voices, wow, you'll hear God through those authority figures. You'll see him in laws. You'll see him in city ordinances. You'll see him in your process. You'll see him in your money. Do you know who your God is? Do you know who the God of your last decision was? The God of the last decision you made. Think of the last major decision you made. Do you know who is God over that decision? Whoever you sought first. Should we buy that house? Let's go to our bank account. Who is the God of that decision? Should we host? Should we do? Should we, listen, who would you go to first? Is it God's decision? Did you submit it? Or is it yours? God wants our hearts. That's the motive. That's the th and when we connect to him, technicolor, end of the rainbow, light, power will surge through us as a community, through your life. It will connect you, align with you, and that power and life will surge. Why? Because what we are doing then is in the kingdom, the rule and the reign of heaven. Comprendin? Just stand to your feet today. You guys did great. You did great. Proverbs 4.23, watch over your heart with all diligence, for flow it from the issues of life. Did you put a hand on your own heart this morning? There's not a single person in this room who have done this perfectly. None of us. We all messed up. Praise Jesus, he doesn't leave us. Like, praise God. But his spirit wants to live through you. He wants to do things through your life that are far beyond what you could ask or reason out. You can't see all that he wants to do. You can't do it. And that's the reason why you should continue to submit your life to him. He's not just your savior, he's your Lord. He's your Lord. Jesus, you are our king. We don't want any other king, we want you. And so, Jesus, as a community, we come to you today. We submit our lives to you. 
Jesus, would you be Lord over our marriages? Come on. Have you invited him to be Lord over your marriage? Jesus, be my king over my marriage. Jesus, be king over my parenting. Oh, Lord. My best strength is going to fail my kids, but I know that if I am submitting to you, that you will help. Those children will be your children, not just mine. Jesus, be Lord over my livelihood, my work, the work of my hands, what I'll do with my life, my passions, my dreams, my efforts, all of it. Jesus, be Lord over it. Be Lord over my actions, Jesus. Come your kingdom, your lordship, your rule be extended when I go to make a sale, Jesus. Come your kingdom, be advanced, your rule, Lord, as we start a company, as we start a ministry, as we go to love on the unlovely, Lord, as we do our work, God, be Lord and King over all those small groups. Be Lord and King over this church, Jesus. Be Lord and King over the extension of our lives. We belong to you. Come on, where's the amen in this house today? Be Lord over our lives, Jesus. Lord, there have been times when we've chosen ourselves, we've chosen our own thing. We've tried to do your kingdom our way, and we repent. Please forgive us. Holy Spirit, I'm asking this morning that you would bring specific and personal conviction in each and every heart where our lives are out of alignment and we're needing to submit to you and your kingdom. Lord, we don't want any part of our lives outside of your kingdom. We want you. We want you. Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for every heart, every person here and their families. I pray, God, that you would connect them to your body, your people. I pray, Lord God, that you would speak to each one and help them and enable them to do great things with their lives. I pray, Lord, that you would make divine connections and, and each thing, Lord, each decision, it would be submitted to your lordship, that your kingdom, the rule of heaven, would be advanced through everything that we do. God, I pray for boardrooms and corporate executives Lord, that the boardroom would no longer be the place of advancing the humanistic kingdom. Lord, but that the boardroom, that Jesus would take his rightful place in boardrooms and decisions and corporate executives, Lord, that they would seek you first so that when they make a decision, that leaven of the kingdom would touch the world. I pray, Lord God, that you would help bring a deliverance to the mindset of the church in terms of seeking the world system in order to solve kingdom problems. Lord, help us. Enable us, empower us, Lord, to do what only you can do. God, I thank you for these things. And now, Lord, I bless your people today. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May his favor shine on your life and grant you his grace and that his peace would guard your hearts and minds, that you would advance this kingdom in the mighty name of Jesus. And anybody who dared to agree with that said, hey. Come on, can we give a good clap to the Lord today?